This is Mark Stein. Winter is a big blah, so it's time to get out of town with the ultimate cabin fever reliever. Join me on the 2024 Mark Stein Caribbean Cruise, sailing from Florida to the Bahamas, Jamaica, the Caymans, and Mexico for a full week of sun, sea, and civilizational collapse. I'll have special guests from around the world, from America, Canada, Britain, Europe, the House of Lords. And we'll do all the things you like about the Mark Stein Show and Stein Online, but close up and on water. More details at steinonline.com or marksteincruise.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. January 3rd, 2024, the 10th day of Christmas. Have 10 lords a-leaping on me. Most of them are crazed Romaniacs anyway. It is 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time, 4 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, 4.30 p.m. in fabulous Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 8 p.m. in London and Dublin, 9 p.m. in Paris and Berlin, 10 p.m. in Kiev, oh, and also Tel Aviv, oh, because uh, they have decided to hold all the wars in one convenient time zone, except it's 11 p.m. in Yemen for all you Houthis, Hootie hooting out there. 11.30 p.m. in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. 1.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 4 a.m. in Singapore and Honkers. Sorry about that. 7 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne. 9 a.m. in Auckland. Far more civilized uh, for the Kippers and Kedgeri, and even deeper into Thursday in His Majesty's Dominions across the Pacific, where they're undoubtedly way past Twelfth Night by now. Imagine uh, how you're going to be feeling at the end of February. I mean, let's face it, you're already sick of winter and we barely got going. So why not uh, do yourself a favour and book a stateroom on the Mark Stein Caribbean cruise? Like the man said, it's a week of sun, sea and civilizational collapse in the company of Ava Velardingerbroke, Conrad Black, Leilani Dowding, Bo Snurdly, Michelle Buckman and more. Go to MarkSteinCruise.com for more info. It'll be after Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, so you won't be missing anything. And you can just do like everybody else does and get a helpful Democrat activist to send in your mail-in ballot to a state you don't live in. And fingers crossed the judges will have graciously permitted your candidate to remain on the ballot. 
Yesterday, there was a collision between two aeroplanes at Haneda Airport in Tokyo. Five dead, January the 2nd. But just for the record, January the 3rd is a worse day to be in a plane. 20 years ago, January 3rd, 2004, Flash Airlines Flight 604 took off from Sharm El Sheikh in Egypt, bound for Charles de Gaulle in Paris. The Boeing 707 crashed into the Red Sea, killing all 135 passengers, most of them French tourists, and all 13 crew members. French investigators and Egyptian investigators were unable to agree on the cause of the crash. Initial suspicions of terrorism, because Tony Blair was on vacation at Sharm el-Sheikh at the time, uh, were ruled out. 30 years ago, January 3rd, 1994, Baikal Airlines Flight 130 from Irkutsk to Moscow crashed into a dairy farm uh, shortly after takeoff, killing all 124 persons on board, plus another person on the ground. It had taken the crew 17 minutes to start the engines, which should have told them they might have a few problems. But there was no guidance in the manual about engine starter problems, so they took off anyway. 80 years ago, January 3rd, 1944, American air ace Gregory Pappy Boyington beat his First World War predecessor, Eddie Rickenbacker's record of 26 enemy planes destroyed. An American record, Major Boyington racked up his 26th, 27th and 28th kills over the Pacific before he was surrounded by fighter jets of the Imperial Japanese Air Force and shot down. He spent the rest of the war as a POW. That's your Flight Watch update for January 3rd across the decades. Might want to leave it till tomorrow to catch your plane. Katie Hopkins has a fabulous video up. Uh, I think it's on, on Twitter. She's back on Twitter now, like Tommy Robinson and a lot of other people. Uh, but Katie has a short video up asking her old bosses at the Daily Mail and LBC and elsewhere who's paid them off not to talk about excess deaths. Indeed, a thousand a week in England and Wales. It's almost two years since we first brought up the subject on the Mark Stein show. Uh, and as we pointed out, as more and more information became available, it's not uh, extra old people dying. It's the young and middle aged dying prematurely. OK, let's uh, get your questions and uh, see what is on your mind this uh, week. We, which, well, we might as well get this out the way first. Chris Davis writes, Mark, wishing you and all at Stein Online a very happy new year. Yeah, happy new year to you too, Chris. How long after you dis have dispatched Michael E. Mann, the litigious climate scientist, how long after you have dispatched Michael E. Mann and uh, completed the Mark Stein cruise, must you wait for your day in court with Michael Grade and Melanie Dawes of Ofcom? Well, uh, I was assuming, of course, that uh, 
the English High Court would be as sclerotic as the District of Columbia uh, Superior Court. And I'd have, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 years uh, before uh, I would have to actually be in court for that. But apparently they do things rather quicker over there. <laughs> and there is theoretically a possibility that the, uh, the tail end of my trial at the District of Columbia Superior Court could run into the oncoming uh, English High Court uh, business over Ofcom. That's to say, I'll be in court uh, at the DC Superior Court starting January the 16th, which is 13 days from now. The trial is expected to go the judge has refused to put a clock on it. He doesn't want to, you know, say it's three weeks or whatever. Um, the estimate, if I understand what he said uh, last time round, is three to five weeks. Uh, so we should just be able to get it all wrapped up before the Mark Stein Caribbean cruise. If it goes five weeks, I'll have to dash out of the uh, final day of the trial, grab a cab uh, to uh, Washington Reagan National Airport and go straight to Florida for the start of the Mark Stein Caribbean cruise. Now, uh, we've just heard from the judge uh, at the King's Bench Division of the English High Court, who has... Uh, uh, said that he would like to uh, uh, do this thing uh, before the end of March. So we're going to have to uh, see what days the Ofcom big shots are. Yeah. <laughs> so in other words, I'll be going straight from the straight from my trial at DC, straight to Florida for the Caribbean cruise around the British West Indies and Mexico. And uh, then uh, as soon as I get off the ship from that, I'm going to have to fly to London uh, to be in the King's Bench Division of the English High Court. What a thrill. I can't tell you how thrilled I am. Um, I, I probably don't really, well, certainly that's uh, the thinking of my doctors. I probably shouldn't be doing this trial in Washington. And I haven't even mentioned the second draft of them. But at this stage, I'd rather, you know, just just be done with it all. I said, you know, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry or have a massive stroke. The last one is probably the most likely. <laughs> um, but I'm looking forward to uh, being done and dusted or whatever the expression is. OK, enough of that. Chris Hall says the scandal surrounding the resignation of Claudine Gay as president of Harvard may be more damaging to the halls of academia than most people suspect. Just as the people most angered by the special treatment of illegal aliens tend to be those who went through the legal immigration system, the many thousands of people who have played the game within academia will likely be very ticked off by what came out of this story. Gay's CV is just about at the level where a person might be recruited to a middling university at the assistant professorship level. It would definitely not be enough to get tenure at the associate professor level, and it's light years away from getting a full professorship. It should be clear to anyone within the university system that some people become 
prefesses rather than pro professors. Is that is that what it is? Or is it per I can't remember. I don't really know a lot about the professor business, except as the vaudevillian expression, take it away, professor. Uh, because one was referring to the fact that one's conductor might conceivably uh, have a degree from some prestigious conservatory of music, which isn't all that likely when you're playing uh, variety halls and burlesque houses. Um, Elisa Angel adds, OMG, Mark, did you happen to read former Harvard professor Claudine Gay's resignation letter? Recent events inspire my 2024 prediction. Definitions of ordinary words will continue to evolve to become antonyms or nonsensical to the original meanings. 2024 will be the year of babbling. Latest examples, plagiarism equals white supremacist weapon. Resignation Nation equals keep salary, a post, and the honorific. Sounds the actual honor. That's true. She's going to continue to get her full salary until the end of her life. Uh, credible threats of genocide that would frighten a reasonable person equal protected speech. Yes, indeed. This all started because of uh, these professed, these university presidents uh evasiveness when they were asked about uh, the very real uh climate of fear for jewish students created by having this malign alliance between the uh foreign often muslim students paying full freight and then the sort of progressive lefty types on university doing their death to the jews routine i gather the um the Jewish students at uh, Harvard were out in Harvard Yard today uh, singing that tra traditional uh, Harvard song of uh, celebration, Harvard Nagila. I think that's what it's called. Have I ever got that right? Harvard Nagila, Harvard Nagila, Harvard Nagila, Claudine Gay is gone. Whatever, wherever it goes. Anyway, uh, so that was... <laughs> Uh, that's Elisa Angel's take that we are just uh, once again uh, the, uh, the, the, the pitiful nature of uh, Claudine Gay's resignation uh, letter. Um, look, I go back to what I said. This is, this is Chris Hall is quite right. Uh, this is a joke. The appointment of her as president, I, I'm confused because I'm an immigrant to the great nation that is the United States of America. And I'd always heard that Harvard was uh, belonged to what is it, this thing you've got, the Ivy League. And it was like one of the most prestigious institutions in the world. And then you have this complete hack who... Uh, as Chris was saying, you know, really shouldn't uh, be appointed to run a community college in Dead Moose Junction. And this was the point I made. And it's worth bearing, because it's worth bearing in mind, setting aside Hamas and Gaza and all that, and looking at those three people, particularly Claudine Gay, when she appeared, if you go back to whatever it was, the day after they did their congressional testimony, and I said, well, the, the awful thing about these people is their utter mediocrity. You know, OK, it was a bit of a tricky question, but if you were really good enough 
to be the head honcho at Harvard, you would have a big enough brain to be tap dancing around that far more plausibly than this woman did. And uh, she, there's only one reason. We all know this. She's own, she only got the gig because she's a black woman, because that happens to be the sweet spot right now in identity politics. There's, uh, you know, some, some uh, of the initially, you know, a black guy, it's all a bit old and stale and boring now. And, uh, and, and uh, we're not quite ready for the Muslima transgender. So the sweet spot right now is black women. So all kinds of black women who are being appointed to their jobs just because they're black women. And we know this. This woman was pathetic. A hack, a mediocrity, everything Chris Hall has just said is right. And I think, and so I blame, by the way, the Harvard Corporation, which is the body of, uh, I think they still have some white men on there. Uh, that body should also resign. They're the ones who did this to Harvard. This is a I know a little bit about this because some pals of mine a couple of years back were among the, were the minority trustees uh, at Dartmouth College, which is also in the Ivy League in New Hampshire. And so every time they flew in for a trustees meeting, uh, we'd meet up and go for dinner. And I remember at the time uh, they wanted to appoint the first gay president of the Ivy League. And so these guys, we, we were having dinner and brainstorming about how to, you know, block this gay president of Dartmouth College, uh, whom they didn't want because he was like a gay lefty. So but they knew they couldn't trump the gay with a uh, a, a, a straight white male. So they came up with this Asian guy and said, oh, you'll be the first Asian head honcho of an Ivy League. So they appointed this Asian and it didn't really work out too well because he quit and went off to head up the world. Was it the World Bank or something? It was some UN thing. And, and so that did. And so this is how they're all going to go now. Right. Now you compare the situation in China, for example, China doesn't have these identity politics issues, except for the basic one, which is, you know, do you support the ruling Communist Party or not? But and that's a that can be a toughie. I can understand if you were a man of integrity, but it's basically it doesn't do as much damage as appointing people on the basis of immutable characteristics such as their skin color um, or their or their biological sex. Uh, so China, when it has to, it's got some big university appointment coming. It's, it's, it's got a billion and a half people, uh, almost all, uh, over 90% of whom belong to one ethnic group. Uh, the Han Chinese, who I believe are the biggest ethnic group in the world. Anyway, they've got a billion and a third of them uh, to choose from. So they don't have to worry about, oh, are we going to have the first Hispanic or the first Muslima transgender or the uh, first non-binary African-American? They don't have to bother with any of that. They can just uh, say, oh, look, all these, we, we've got the 110 bazillionth Han Chinese in the job, uh, but uh, he happens to be rather good at the job. Uh, so we're crapifying all the great institutions of America. 
And so Harvard isn't going to be a world-class institute. And, you know, you can say, uh, yes, uh, the great universities of, uh, 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 of England and uh, to a lesser degree, continental Europe are all going down this path too. But America is far and away ahead of the uh, pack at moronizing itself. The people who appointed Claudine Gay should... Do you know what was interesting as well was the reaction. They weren't embarrassed by her performance in front of Congress, although they should be. Uh, Harvard... Uh, double down on them. Oh, yes, we've done an investigation into these allegations of plagiarism. <laughs> and what was the word they... They didn't use the word plagiarism. They called it duplicative language without proper, without proper attribution or something. So they're bollocksing themselves up. But it showed you how all in they were. On. And it was only because the Washington Free Beacon unearthed not just 2, 3, 7, 12, 28, 43, but more than 50 examples of this. That they, because she's not a university present, president-level person. She's a, she's a dimwit. She's not someone who anybody would hire for anything that is supposed to be close to what being president of Harvard is meant to be. So they screwed their own brand on this. And if any of the donors have said this before, I said this in After America, education is the biggest structural defect in America. And so if you're one of these donors still giving money to your alma mater, you're a putz. You're actually contributing, you're funding the destruction, not only of your so-called university, but you're funding the broader destruction of the entirety of Western civilization. So stick the checkbook back in your pocket and stop, and stop giving it, stop giving it to them. This is just... This is uh, terrible and a complete joke. Uh, Jay Sparrow writes, What are your thoughts on the concept of deglobalization? The idea that world international trade will diminish as America becomes more isolationist and less keen in projecting naval power to keep the sea lanes safe and open. Peter Zihan is an enthusiastic proponent of this thesis. He sees this and demographic winter as forces that will doom China, Russia and Western Europe to decline, and in some cases even national extinction. Well, I've been there, done that, the whole demography thing, for 20 years now. And... Um, that is, that's a separate thing from deglobalization. Basically, for two centuries, uh, the global uh, commercial, uh, commercially minded nations enjoyed the benefit first of the Pax Britannica with the Royal Navy uh, keeping the uh, keeping the oceans safe and secure for global trade. And then uh, since the Second World War with the United States Navy. I don't think uh, it's true that um, uh, even among the increasing decrepitude of the United States Armed Forces, the Navy is in a particularly bad uh, situation. The Navy is in, in, is in a 
terrible parlour state. But they're not the ones keeping these sea lanes open. You hear a bit of it, like when the Houthis are droning all kinds of stuff in the Red Seas, in the Red Sea, and you hear, oh, uh, this and that shipping company is deciding not to send its stuff through the Red Sea because the Houthi, they're, they're supposed to be just uh, droning ships that are taking stuff to Israel, but they seem to be accidentally droning all kinds of other stuff as well. So people don't like it. It's, it's a little subtler than that. I notice they're not droning, for example, the Chinese. And the interesting thing, they always used to call the Indian Ocean a British lake and the Pacific Ocean an American lake. They're both becoming Chinese lakes right now. And specifically, if you, you know, draw a line uh, along the shore uh, from China uh, all the way to Houthi land in Yemen, most of those old ports of the old of Britain's old Indian Empire have now been rebuilt and are being run by the Chinese. So it may well be that in fact the Chinese are the ones who are keeping the sea lanes open at the moment. But when you talk, here's where I don't buy the theory, because when you talk about de-globalizing, uh, de um, uh, we, we're sort of deglobalizing anyway, because, uh, you know, um, in America, everything in your house is made in China. And Biden certainly has no plans to change any of that. Nikki Haley has no particular plans to change any of that. None that would be effective. Uh, so the, 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 the most pressing reason to keep the sea lanes open is China's, and they're not uh, planning on uh, changing anything uh, about that. Uh, just let me quickly go back to one more on the Claudine Gay thing. Scott Scherzer says, uh, do you think that the recent resignations of the presidents of Harvard and Penn, with MITs being on borrowed time, portend a change of direction in America's academies? Or is this merely window dressing? Will the egos of the large donors be sated by the ritual sacrifice? Is there any hope of this being a significant turning point? Or will business as usual win the day? P.S. My Liberty Stick has arrived, number 387, and is being proudly displayed in my home office, writes Scott from Miami Beach. No, it won't change anything. Do you know the demand from Ibram X. Kendi and others that Harvard uh, has to replace Claudine Gay with another black woman because you can't let it be seen that the black female presidency has failed and so you replace her with a white man. So uh, there's going to have to be a... They're going to have to figure out, find a black woman capable of replacing her, but one who writes her own crappy papers this time, you know... I love all this because I'm basically in a trial in which, in, which is all about deference to experts and has been ever since the first crappy trial judge, uh, whatever, her, Natalia Combs-Green, ever since she uh, procedurally bollocks the case in 2012. But one of the things that made me want to vomit was her deference to, uh, to so-called credentialed expertise as represented by Michael E. Mann and these various bodies that had exonerated him. 
The same exoneration uh, those guys gave to Michael E. Mann is what Harvard wanted to do with Claudine Gay. Oh, Claudine Gay couldn't ever become president of Harvard if she'd been a plagiarist. That's completely absurd. The idea that we would hire a plagiarist to be president of Harvard. All these so-called experts, they did, they checked nothing. And they're going to have to check someone now, but they're being the demand of Imbram X. Kendi and the other big shot race baiters. You know, there's a video uh, that the Washington Free Beacon put together of all the media effusions over the... Oh, a black woman has been appointed as president. God, it's bloody 2024. It's not 1964 in Selma, Alabama. The same old crap. All the time, now and forever. It's killing your country. And if you're these one these guilt-ridden white liberals, you know, I can say this, because I I'm a real minority. I'm an Irish Belgian Canadian living in New Hampshire. That's a pretty lonely parade. So just speaking as a real minority, living in your great nation and observing it, you're killing your country. It's so bloody boring. And as I said, your principal geopolitical rival doesn't have these crappy psychological hang-ups that you guys do. Um, because it's, it's, uh, they just like who they are. They like being Han Chinese and they like having a billion and a third Han Chinese to appoint to all the positions that matter. That's what we used to call a, a traditional uh, ethno-nationalist eth, eth, uh, society, as indeed, you know, most uh, functioning ones are. This whole idea that by overcomplicating your demographic profile, you make things, oh, diversity is our strength. Yeah. How's that working out for Harvard? Thank you. Th no, nothing is going to change, Scott, because it's the new religion and the white. Uh, and it would be fine if it was just, you know, oh, we like everybody. Yes, we we like blacks and we like whites. Uh, but it isn't, it isn't like that because... Uh, where there are ethnic spoils to be won, there also have to be uh, 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 losers on that front. And in this case, uh, the losers are all those, uh, you can see them in the group shot, the, the, uh, the, the Harvard Corporation, the white men, the old white men who appoint the young hack mediocrity to be president of Harvard. Um, you know, those guys will be dead. And uh, if you're a middle-aged or young white bloke, you're, you're screwed. You might, as, you might as well hop a flight to Peking and see if the Chinese are minded to get less racist uh, about giving you a shot over there uh, than the uh, people who run the United States of America are in this hideous and boring white self-loathing. Uh, okay, let us uh, pause uh, for a moment from the passing Cherry Vary. Uh, last week, as you know, I was asked about the Hootie. 
the excitable lads from Yemen, but for some reason I found myself detouring into the lyric of a Debbie Reynolds hit from 1957, a very big hit, number one that year, and uh, in the way these things uh, often uh, do, I found myself uh, singing that record on and off during the last few days, uh, so I thought I might as well play it. Just a beautiful, beautiful record. Wait a minute, I ordered up Debbie Reynolds singing Tammy. What the hell is this? Oh, it's the Australian electronic group, the Avalanches. Well, what do you do? What's it got to do with Debbie Reynolds? Oh God, it samples Tammy. Sampling is the death of art. It's one reason our civilization is sliding off a cliff. You know it's true. So screw this antipodean sampling. Enough! Get rid of this thing. All I want to hear is the original 45 RPM single. You know, Debbie Reynolds was a bona fide movie star and an irrepressible personality, actress, singer, dancer, but nobody uh, really thought of her as a recording artist. Yet this is a perfect gramophone record, a song from her film, Tammy and the Bachelor. It turns up about halfway through the picture. The guy who owns my town's general store in New Hampshire. His son married a sweetheart called Tammy, straight out of high school, more or less. This was in the 1990s, and it was lovely just to wander in to get a coffee and a newspaper or whatever and hear him whistling this tune as he padded about the aisles going about his work. Lots of people recorded it back then. The Ames Brothers, Sam Cooke, Jane Morgan, Jimmy Rogers. But Debbie Reynolds got to number one, and deservedly so. I hear the cottonwoods whispering above. Tammy, Tammy, Tammy's in love. The old hootie owl, hootie who's to the dove. Tammy, Tammy, Tammy's in love. Does my lover feel what I feel when he comes near? My heart beats so joyfully. You'd think that he could hear. Wish I knew if he knew what I Tammy, Tammy, Tammy's in love. 
Hoots to the Dove. Tammy, Tammy, Tammy's in love. Ah, that is a lovely couplet. As is, uh, I'd sing like a violin if I were in his arms. Debbie Reynolds with Joseph Gershenson's orchestra and the sound of a number one record from the America of 1957, Tammy, by a great songwriting team, Jay Livingston and Ray Evans. They wrote K. Sarah Sarah for Doris Day, Mona Lisa for Nat King Cole, Buttons and Bows for Bob Hope. Oh, and uh, let's not forget the theme for Mr. Ed the Talking Horse. Fabulous catalogue. Mark Stein, live around the planet. It is 23 to 9, Greenwich Mean Time, a little behind, a lot ahead according to where you chance to be on this turbulent earth. Let's get back to your questions. Michael Cavino says, Hi, Mark. Hope you and yours had a happy new year. Thank you for fighting for free speech by taking on litigation in two continents. (laughs) Do you know how much I'm thrilled uh, by the idea of my bicontinental litigating? Uh, Michael uh, says, are you waiting with breathless anticipation for the unredacted Jeffrey Epstein documents? I can only imagine all the other friends of Bill who flew on the Lolita Express. Look, uh, America is corrupt and American justice is corrupt. As I pointed out two years ago, and as I've discussed Uh, with my uh, old boss, Conrad Black, who's also been on the receiving end of American justice, and he'll be able to tell you, you can ask him all about it over dinner and in the bar on the Mark Stein cruise, because Conrad has a lot to say on that subject. And as he and I talked about, uh, it's uh, interesting to me that the only two people who paid any price for being connected with Jeffrey Epstein, not Bill Clinton, former United States president, not 
Bill Richardson, uh, former uh, uh, governor of uh, New Mexico, was it? Uh, not uh, George Mitchell, uh, former United States senator from May. None of them paid any price. Only two people who did were two British subjects, Gillen Maxwell and uh, His Royal Highness the Duke of York, who more or less got fired from the royal family. Uh, because of his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Ghislaine Maxwell is sitting in prison, uh, having been found guilty of sex trafficking in the only sex trafficking case, only sex trafficking prosecution, in which there was no mention of any of the people she trafficked. Jeffrey Epstein... Uh, found these young girls, whatever they were, 14, 15, 16, and Ghislaine Maxwell was prosecuted for passing them on to certain fellows. Well, who did she pass them on to? Oh, no, that's not relevant. We've, we found her guilty of sex trafficking, uh, so we don't need to know who she sex trafficked them to. Oh, was Ghislaine Maxwell having sex with the 14-year-old girl? Uh, no, 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 no. She just trafficked the 14-year-old girl to some big-shot American who had sex with her. Oh, oh, I see, I see. But we don't have any interest in that. We're just interested in uh, getting Ghislaine in jail. It's corrupt. It's a joke. Nobody ever talks about... When these things come up, uh, they talk about... They talk about the Ghislaine Maxwell trial as if it's a perfectly normal trial. It's not. It's a stitch-up. And that should be obvious even to, uh, you know, some of the dummies who are holding down shows on cable TV or whatever. Oh, no, 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 no. Toby Pilling says, should lawfare also be used by the right against the left? Or is it a weapon that corrupts the user, much like Tolkien's One Ring? Well, whether it it does corrupt the user, I think, um, and and this is the big argument. Uh, there's there's a void here because on the one hand you have people saying, "Oh, we should uh, get Biden kicked just like they've done to Trump in two states now," so there's only forty eight to go. Uh, but he's been kicked off the ballot in two states, Colorado and Maine. So oh, we should find some red states and kick Biden off the ballot. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know who that leaves to win the election if that uh, goes all the way. Jill Stein? Uh, is that the, the name of the Green Party uh, candidate? Is she going to be president? Um, could be just what America needs. You never know. Um, it does corrupt the user if you, if you say if that happens. But it's a huge mistake and uh, to think that uh, that the weapons of one side will only ever be used by that side. That's almost word for word a point I made to Tucker Carlson on Fox News, even as the uh, January the 6th stuff was still going on. Uh, it had, it had sort of, they got, I think they'd got it back under control, but the capital was still smoking and all the rest of it. Um, and, and I said, you know, all, we've been told that the only exception during that summer of 2020, 
you know, uh, the, you, you weren't allowed to go out, you weren't allowed to have granny over for Thanksgiving, but you, if you were Black Lives Matter or Antifa, you were allowed to go out and trash the town. You were allowed to go out and burn down a Wendy's. Because as the idiotic uh, public health officials in that round-robin group letter they signed, racism is a public health issue. So if, if, if it's, a, it's such a burning public health issue that you've got to go out and burn down a Wendy's. Um, and I said to Tucker that you can't, it's, it's foolish to think these things will only remain the province of one side. And so in this case, white people did what they'd seen black people doing all summer long. Uh, albeit in a more uh, restrained and civilized way. Yeah, it's not good, but there's a, there's, uh, and just as, you know, it's not good for uh, the Secretary of State for Maine to kick Trump off the ballot in a state he won an electoral college vote in, one of them, uh, in 2016 and 2020, because you're basically. Uh, that's the northern seven-eighths of the state, whatever that main second congressional district is. You're basically denying your uh, voters the right to vote for the guy they've picked twice already on no basis whatsoever. There's been no due process or anything like that. She's just decided he can't be on the ballot. Uh, so that's two states now. So there's a problem here. Generally speaking... Republicans do not do to Democrats what Democrats do to Republicans, in part because they're too busy waving the stupid Constitution around, the same Constitution that has enabled Democrats to do all this crap to you. And if you notice, all the, the Colorado decision and the Maine decision uh, uh, both come cloaked in constitutionalism. Um, <clears throat> so either the Constitution has enabled everything that's happened to you, or at any rate, it has failed to prevent it. So because the right spends all its time waving the Constitution and uh, singing, I'm proud to be an American, because at least I know I'm screwed, uh, they don't actually come up with any practical strategy. So you have one group of, uh, on the American right that says, oh, we should just go on singing the Constitution and uh, waving the <laughs> lyrics of I'm proud to be an American. You have another group on the right who say this uh, National Review has been doing this. All the time. They've been doing all this tut-tuttery, tut-tuttery about the um, uh, their fellow American conservatives who now want to stick it to Biden in so-called red states. And then you have uh, and, 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 and then you have that group that does want to do all this lawfare stuff. What they neither of these things is going to work except to destroy America. If you're interested in saving America, You've got to come up with, uh, I would say, you've got to come up with a, you, you've either got to, uh, you've either got to uh, come up with a, uh, a form of pushback that will damage the Democrats sufficiently 
that they that they would uh, think that they would think again. The problem with all the National Review tut tuttery is that basically, oh, these there's these 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 rather excitable chaps on our side who keep talking about you know, doing to the Democrats what the Democrats are doing to us. They don't realize that the one reason we hold the moral high ground is because we never descend from the moral high ground actually to do anything. Now, the whole of Western... This is the big topic here. The whole of... This is what we talk about. The whole of Western civilization is sliding off the cliff on America's watch. And the tut-tuttery of National Review and the constitutional fetishization are not enough uh, to uh, are not are not enough uh, for the rollback. So people naturally start saying, "Well, I don't particularly have any ideas myself, so I'm just going to do what the Democrats do." Uh, and you can't object to that unless you've got some other. Uh, plan to do something about it. Now, I'm, I, I've withstood 12 years of litigation in the, in the toilet of justice, which is the District of Columbia uh, Superior Court. Uh, and I know uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't like legalisms and I don't like the idea of litigating everything. It is not the good sign of society. In the end, in the end, there has to be a much better job done of just uh, not making legalistic arguments, but actually just uh, making moral arguments and utilitarian arguments, arguments that exist in the realm where people live. But I would be surprised, for example, you know, Maine is a kind of 50-50 state, not quite 50-50 because the tiny little bit that's, you know, the hipster joints in Portland or whatever can, you know, outpunch, outvote the northern seven-eighths of the state. But that's a lot of territory to deprive of its preferred political candidate. And, and uh, prudent, prudent uh, p politicians would not be doing that, that kind of thing. This is a uh, s somewhat related, where did I put this now? This is a somewhat uh, related uh, query. Uh, where is it? Where's it gone now? Mis I've managed to uh, misplace uh, it. Oh, Bill Bradshaw. Yeah, I did want to get to this. Says, dear Mark, glad to hear you sounding great over Christmas. Hope you continue to get better. I'm very worried about Trump. The Democrats mean to imprison him, and if they can get away with it, kill him. Would it not be better for him to make a deal to support DeSantis and later be pardoned? Or maybe he should throw his support behind Nikki Haley, since the polls have her up 17 points over Biden. Thanks, Bill. Uh, well, Bill, this is, you're assuming this is politics. And as I keep saying, there, there is no politics in America right now. What's happening? Uh, and that's where the National Review tut tutters are wrong, too. There's no politics in America right now. What's happening is not politics. It's not normal for uh, the government uh, 
the the ruling party uh, to uh, to be trying to throw the leader of the opposition in jail. Now, Americans have no interest in other countries. And so the minute you start saying all this, stuff, people go, banana republic, banana republic, banana republic. Well, banana republics are not important in the world. It's actually deeply disturbing that the supposedly most powerful nation on there... See if you can find, you know, precedents in, uh, say, other G7 member nations, uh, other European Union countries where the ruling party is, uh, is kicking the opposition leader off the ballot. This is, this is weird, and it's not politics. And Bill's thing, your thing would make a lot of sense if this was about politics, but politics is off the menu right now in America. You say correctly that you're very worried about Trump. The Democrats mean to imprison him, and if they can get away with it, kill him. And I said, I'm on record, you can go and listen to the Mark Stein show. I think it is It's the one, what was it, the two days after the election or whatever. I advised him just to get on a plane, not on Air Force One, not on anything being flown by government pilots, but... Uh, Get on a plane and get get on one of his planes and get the hell out of there. He's got properties all over the world. He likes a lot of these countries and he should find one without an extradition treaty with the United States and go there. Because it was very clear, there are very few, uh, unless you happen to get assassinated like Kennedy or your own party turns on you so you decide not to run again like uh, Lyndon Johnson. There are actually very few one-term presidents in, uh, in, in, in modern U.S. history who fail to get re-elected. There was uh, George H.W. Bush uh, in 1992. There was Jimmy Carter in 1980. And then before that, ooh, uh, you have to go back to Herbert Hoover and the Depression. 1932. Uh, and so if those were, you know, so if you're like the normal guy, you, you like uh, George H.W. Bush doesn't get, so he goes off and uh, makes some money, does what he does. Uh, Jimmy Carter decides to devote the rest of his life to monitoring elections in the Congo uh, because he might pick up some useful tips there on how to run a decent free and fair election that he could pass on to the guys running American elections. Uh, Trump wasn't uh, in the same situation as Bush, Carter, Herbert Hoover. He felt that he was that he had been the victim of a heist, and so he wanted to reverse it. And you know that's fair enough. I I said if he wants to, he's he's entitled to have a go at becoming the 21st century's Grover Cleveland and coming back. It hasn't been done since then, in part because normally if you lose, you're over. Uh, and the party thinks you're over, and the party's voters think you're over, and they want somebody who's not a loser. So uh, it's not easy to be Grover Cleveland in the 21st century. And maybe it wouldn't have been possible even for Trump had not... The Democrats decided to stick him in jail. And as Bill says, 
in hopes that he will die in jail. They're serious about that. And so when Bill, they're serious about that. And again, this is not normal. This is a weird, sick society. In, there's only two parties. As I always say, it's not like Northern Ireland, where there's something like 17... If you take the Westminster Parliament and you take Stormont and you take local council, there's something like 17 different political parties in Northern Ireland represented at various levels of government. It's not like that here. There's just the same two crappy parties for 150 bloody years. Uh, and... Uh, so it's it's it would be weird in a parliamentary system, but it's even weirder in this one where uh, the other party is trying to criminalize, criminalize the sole alternative to that party. And so pretending that this is normal politics. Now, what you have to do, Bill, here, from Trump's point of view, you say, would it not be better for him to make a deal to support DeSantis uh, or Nikki Haley. No. Because Trump knows that all he's got going for him right now is the support of tens of millions of Americans for whom he is their candidate. Not because they particularly like him, uh, but because they have concluded that the criminalization of any alternative to the ruling party is the overwhelming priority for them right now. And that's a reasonable assumption to make. Once Trump just becomes an ex-politician who's endorsed Nikki Haley, um, the, the price of jailing him and killing him in jail uh, becomes a lot lower for Democrats because he's then he's just not somebody, you know. You're not. You're not. What he is going for him right now is that they're trying to jail and kill the opposition leader. Now that's what he is going for him. So I don't think it would be in Trump's interest to do this. Then you have the realities, which is that the party's base doesn't want it. You know, I feel sorry in some ways, for Ron DeSantis. But I think he jumped the gun. I think the thing about it is that uh, to throw... He didn't need to run in 2024. He could have left it four years because somebody... And he could have done a bang-up job in Florida and be the guy you pass the torch to in 2028. But he jumped the gun, and that would have been fine if he'd been a crackerjack candidate... Uh, but he hasn't been, really. Now, then you have uh, throw his support behind Nikki Haley. Uh, Nikki Haley... He, what, what, Nikki Haley is one of those completely insincere politicians. I don't know what she... What, maybe she wants to pardon Trump. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe... But, you know... Uh, I, I, I wouldn't go to the bank with what Nikki Haley said on Tuesday, because by Thursday, it, you know, I just don't think, uh, I don't think either. The, the, what is, what is, here's, the, here's, the, here's the thing. What the Democrats 
Now, we, we haven't talked about the oversumption, too, is that it means something. If there's a poll that says, uh, I haven't seen any such poll, but you're saying there's a poll that shows Nikki Haley up 17 points over Biden. You have to ask yourself, I've asked and answered this question. Are the Democrats prepared to allow Joe Biden to join those very small ranks uh, of uh, a modern American one-term presidents defeated for re-election. I don't think they are. So I think they're planning on doing what's necessary to quote-unquote win this election. And, in, and you're going to need, in, in, that, in that sense, um, this idea of gaming it out in conventional political terms, as if America held free and fair elections, or as if you were, you know, there's interesting movements in the, in, in French politics, French presidential politics. Uh, oh, you know, uh, Marine Le Pen, uh, if the election were held today, she'd be the president. Yes, but it's not being held today. And on the day it is actually held, somehow she, you know, never quite manages to close the deal. So is this time going to be different? We have all those things. We don't have to factor the rubbish like mail-in ballots and all the rest of it. Uh, that you have to factor in with American elections. So, Bill, I think if I'm with with great respect, I think you're you're thinking you're thinking in political terms, and we are way beyond uh, politics uh, right now. Um, Fran Kirk says one of my favourite and most thoughtful presents this Christmas was a Mark Stein Liberty stick. Now taking pride of place on my stairwell where it not only receives maximum exposure to the whole household, but is safely out of the dog's reach. Yeah, though, <laughs> that's, it is true. The, the Liberty Stick can be unusually exciting for your canine friends. Um, my question is simply to ask, what are your thoughts about the Reform Party's press conference today and the prospect of Nigel Farage returning to frontline politics? Although my 16-year-old has chipped in and would also like to know your views on proportional representation. Very best of luck for the weeks ahead. Only one person in that courtroom will carry with him the genuine support and good wishes of so many people worldwide. And it's not the other guy. Take good care of yourself. Thank you for that, Fran. Yeah, Richard Tice, who's the leader of the Reform Party. I don't... Um, I can't claim to know him, but one night walking back from doing my show in London and I walked back across uh, Lambeth Bridge uh, from Lambeth Palace across the river to Parliament and uh, with my producers and uh, Lola and uh, Melissa and we bumped into Richard Tice, the leader of the Reform Party. Uh, I couldn't see. It was the, the lights were out on the bridge. But he just said, oh, hi, hello, Mark. And I sort of peered. And it was Richard Tice. And we had a few words. And the, he's the current leader of the Reform Party. And the thinking, and actually, right now, they're just a couple of points behind the, the, the Liberal Democrats. He's not the most compelling leader. Everyone understands that if reform were to... Uh, make a breakthrough, they would need Farage as the leader. Um, but even with Richard Tice, they're just a couple of points behind the Liberal Democrats, who are the third party 
in uh, in in uh, Westminster politics at the national level. You have, you know, as I said, you have like uh, these various Celtic parties I just mentioned, all those Northern Irish ones, and you've got the Scottish Nationalists and Plaid Cymru and everything. But at, at the national level, they're the third party, the Liberal Democrats, and uh, Reform are just a couple of points behind them. Now, Nigel Farage is a great calculator of his own interests. That is one thing I know. And so he's not going to jump in unless he feels he can do what he did in those European elections, uh, whatever it was, five years ago, and inflict some awful punishment on the Tories that would lead to a realignment of British politics. Uh, because otherwise he can make more money as... Uh, Jim Davidson, the great British comedian, <laughs> said to me in the bar uh, a while back, oh, Nigel's showbiz now, and he's making a lot of money at showbiz. So why would he want to... So uh, a humiliating defeat would just eat into his ability to make money at showbiz. Um, so he would be... He ha He's very good. The European election, when he found the Brexit party, brilliant. He inflicted a colossal defeat, worst defeat on the Tories uh, in 200 years, might even be 300 years. Now, can he do that again? He didn't feel he could do it with Boris Johnson there. So he, he basically wimped out in the 2019 general election. So what's he going to do? It, Nigel is a great calculator of his own interest. Uh, Leo VT, uh, who I always thought was Leo from Vermont, but I met him on the cruise and it turns out that VT is a Dutch surname, the initials of his Dutch surname. Uh, and uh, like uh, Van Gogh, that's what the, so you know what the V stands for. Uh, Hi Mark, glad to hear you in fine form. As relates to the sudden adult death syndrome, I saw that even Nigel Farage took up talking about excess deaths on his show on GBN, GB News. Apparently being a prophet gets you cancelled, but being a Johnny-come-lately lets you pretend you knew all along. Does being able to say I told you so make things any cheerier? Asking for a friend. No, because people are still dying. This is the thing. It's a thousand extra people dying in England and Wales every week consistently since I first began talking about it almost two years ago now in 2022. And I used to talk about it with Jamie Jenkins and we'd, we'd tiptoe around what was causing it. The sudden excess deaths that started showing up after the vaccination program for COVID began and hasn't gone away. Uh, if you read my little piece uh, this morning, you will know, for example, that two, just in the last few days, two British Airways stewards, one at Heathrow, one at Newark, just dropped dead at the age of 52. Um, because what's happening is it's not old people. We don't have excess deaths among the elderly. They're dying at the normal rate. We have young people and middle-aged people dying. Um, and uh, to go back to something I've discussed with uh, doctors in several uh, countries, uh, they, they talk about 
these vaccines as an accelerant that they um, that you know so in other words something that might have killed you when you were 93 suddenly shows up when you were 68 likewise the heart attack in middle age that might have killed you at 54 instead shows up when you're 29 or whatever so these deaths among the young and middle aged and there and there's basically you know i, I keep quoting the england and wales thing because it's an easy number to remember a thousand extra dead this is as base this is why i urge you to watch that katie hopkins video she's quite right who paid you off not to talk about this? Because that's a, it goes on, you know, so the first, and they, they're slow walking a lot of the stats on this kind of thing now. But basically it was 28,000 in the first six months of uh, 2023. So that's, as I said, that's actually a little over a thousand a week. That's a huge mountain of corpses. You know, the question is, it, the, the longer this goes on, the uh, harder it is to go up with, to, to go with the cock-up theory of history that a lot of people are wedded to. Uh, Toby Young is a, is a great one for the cock-up theory, that just the people who, are, who go into, public, into politics and, in, and go into bureaucracy and go into officialdom are generally a lot of mediocre types and they're just not very good at running things. So naturally, when something like COVID comes along, they screw it all up. That was basically what Francis Collins, the American guy, uh, in his sort of mayor sort of culpa was saying, oh, we, we public health officials, we all tend just to talk to each other about it. Uh, and we perhaps we did we didn't fail to consider things like the complete collapse of the economy and the wreckage of a generation of children and all the no 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 the excess deaths and their refusal even to address the question uh, suggests something far darker is actually uh, is actually going on. Uh, Steve from Manhattan says, Mark, as a founding Fortnite member. <laughs> I don't think they have a lot of founding Fortnite members in Manhattan. It doesn't seem like a Manhattan kind of thing. Uh, Mark, as a founding Fortnite member, first Fortnite founding member of the Mark Stein Club, um, I strongly urge you to opt for the laugh in sorting things out among laugh or cry or have a massive stroke. That's that's what I said uh, earlier today when I was explaining that um, uh, my trial in Washington is uh, starts in 13 days time and they now want to do the uh, Ofcom thing at the King's Bench Division of the English High Court in March. Um, and I said, I don't know whether to laugh or cry or have a massive stroke. Steve thinks I should laugh. As a fully signed up for the next Mark Stein Cruise type, I have the following question. For those of us who can't wait until February to get a Stein fix and are thinking of traveling to our national capital and visiting courtroom 518 in the District of Columbia, quote, superior, unquote, quote, court, unquote, to be there for at least a few days of the trial, 
You have any suggestions beyond one, watch out for the kangaroos, and two, repeating your response to a similar question from me in early November before DC judge number four. He, I, I used to call him the fourth trial judge, but apparently <laughs> he's actually the fifth trial judge because there was one, I think it was number three. It wasn't there very long, and I'd completely forgotten about that one. Uh, before DC Judge Number Four, the sniffles. That response being to question the sanity of someone voluntarily travelling to the DC cesspool. Well, I'm certainly happy to see anyone who wants to come along to courtroom number five one eight in the District of Columbia Superior Court. I will say, I just think I really don't like Washington. I generally, as a rule, don't like capital cities that are. Uh, just the capital city of the government. Just the, They're there because they're the seat of the government, like Washington, like Ottawa, like uh, Canberra, like whatever it's called, Brasilia. Um, I prefer a capital city that's like Paris or Berlin or Rome and because it makes it much healthier because it's not only got the government, it's got the high finance uh, the Bourse or the City of London or whatever. Uh, and it's also got all the showbiz and the arts. Uh, and so when you're trying to get a table in a restaurant, uh, some guy who's, you know, uh, deputy assistant undersecretary for the interior is the least important guy in the joint because, you know, there's some uh, fella who... Uh, uh, was in X-Men 37 who's come in and wants a table. So you stick the uh, assistant deputy undersecretary or whatever uh, over uh, on the table by the toilet. I think that's much better. If you've just got government going on in a city and the people who are there to lobby government for their own dark ends, all those mysterious little plaques you see around the capital around the White House and the Congress, these little, nice little walk-up uh, 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 townhouses, but that people aren't living in them. Instead, there's a little plaque for some organization you've never heard of. I can't sandwash. And I will say this also, that uh, even by comparison with uh, Ottawa or Canberra, the restaurants are... Uh, expensive and pretentious without being good. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm really not looking forward to it. But if you figure you can, <laughs> I know, I know, it's it's a small detail, and the judge isn't going to be sympathetic if I bring it up. But you know, I'm just being straight with you here. I do just find that, uh, I do just find that terribly uh, depressing. But if you do want to come along. And, uh, and say hi, you will be more than well. Courtroom number 518 at the District of Columbia Superior Court for Steve and anybody else who's that interested to come along. Um, it is uh, the 10th day of Christmas at Stein Online, the third day of a new year. Um, you know, the, the solar calendar is all very well, but I confess the lunar calendar is a little more fun. All that year of the rat, year of the monkey, year of the pangolin stuff, uh, which it briefly wore. I don't know whether the pangolin got a year to himself, but certainly in the first couple of years 
uh, of the COVID. He, the pangolin got more attention than he's had before or since. Um, so I like all that stuff. And when I was planning my cat album, Feline Groovy, Songs for Swinging Cats, royalties of which have to see me through litigation on both sides of the Atlantic. When I was planning it, my daughter had a Siamese cat whom she adored. So naturally, she said to me, you will be including that Siamese cat song on your album, won't you? Because she loved that song. Uh, so I dug out the DVD of Lady and the Tramp and fast forwarded to We are Siamese, if you please. And it's great, but I couldn't figure out any way to do it differently. Uh, and there didn't seem any point in just doing Disney karaoke. I just couldn't come up with any kind of distinctive take on the song. And then one day I chanced to be motoring around New Hampshire and couldn't find anything to listen to on the radio. So I kept hitting the scan button uh, to try and find a new station. And eventually it landed on one that was playing a song I hadn't heard in decades. And suddenly, the Siamese cat song fell into place. Here's Andy Finden on the bamboo flute to play us in.
she doesn't give you time to question As she locks up your arm in hers And you follow till your sense of which direction completely disappears By the big town walls near the market stalls There's a hidden door she leads you to Says I feel my life like a river running through the ear of the king. If you please, Stay for maybe quite a 
And that's the only line from Peggy Lee's fine lyric to the Siamese cat song that we actually hear, other than the ladies singing If You Please. A song from me to you, boy vocalist Mark Stein with orchestra arranged and conducted by Kevin Amos, and dear Mary Carew, Emma Kershaw, and Janet Mooney on backing vocals. I hope you heard Mary's tremendous performance of Gabriel's Message on our Christmas Eve Lessons and Carols. It's a corker. Lots of other great stuff from Emma and Janet on that show, including a harrowing version of the Coventry Carol. Uh, oh, I should also mention uh, there Andy Finden on the bamboo flute. Uh, Pete Callard on both electric and non-electric guitars. Nick Moss on saxophone. All kinds of good things on that track. A medley of Year of the Cat, written by Al Stewart and Peter Wood in the mid-70s. And the Siamese Cat Song, written a generation earlier by Sonny Burke and Peggy Lee for the Disney blockbuster Lady and the Tramp. Did you know Sonny Burke went on to be Sinatra's producer at Reprise Records? Did you know the title of Year of the Cat was originally Foot of the Stage because it was about the suicidally depressed comedian Tony Hancock, who a couple of years after Al Stewart wrote that song, killed himself in Sydney. As I said, my darling daughter insisted I put the Siamese Cat song on my cat album after she heard that track with Mary, Jan and Emma singing If You Please very breathily. She complained, Dad, you turned my favourite cat song into a song about Southeast Asian sex tourism. Uh, we call that melange Year of the Siamese Cat. And as you astrological types will already know, in the uh, Siamese uh, lunar calendar, unlike the Vietnamese one, there is in fact no Year of the Cat. So I may uh, have to redo it as Year of the Pangolin on my forthcoming Pangolin album. For Thursday, the 11th day of Christmas, we couldn't afford 11 pipers piping, so we only have one, Laura Rosen-Cohen, piping her weekly lament for our civilization in Laura's links. Laura rounds up the internet as nobody else can. Don't miss it. If your Christmas presents stunk up the joint, make up for it by giving your beloved a Mark Stein Club gift membership or a gift certificate, either of which can be digitally delivered within seconds. Or give your sweetie something he or she or whatever non-binary pronoun is preferred, the gift of a lifetime, an unforgettable week on next month's Mark Stein Caribbean cruise. Stay safe, stay free, stay well, if you please. Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media.
rights reserved.